I don't know how much lower <laughs> in our mind, but I think we've always had to hold ourselves to a higher standard when engaging with either law enforcement, appearing in the court, or appearing in government bodies. And so I think what the, what the nation has to do, what localities have to do, is actually look to the example of black folk and look at the ways in which we've even been able to respect the law when it hasn't been just for us, right, as, as we've learned from the works of Martin Luther King and others. Everyone, we're talking with Dr. Anansi Wilson, and we're talking about a virtual roundtable happening tomorrow, the first in a series. And I'm just curious, from your perspective, what is the general state of black life and the law? What's that relationship like that we see now? In fact, I ask that because I just see where Derek Chauvin is asking for another trial this morning. That's right. That's right. And of course, that's his constitutional right to avail himself of those privileges. But I'll tell you, in my opinion, we're at a very, very low moment. I mean, we're in a moment where folks are continually being roughed up by police. We're kind of seeing a backlash, if you will, to the Black Lives Matter movement, this type of retrenchment where schools and organizations and governments are going back on their commitments to DEI and anti-racism. And we're seeing black students, black parents and others caught up in the crosshairs. I mean, I'll give you an example. That young man down in uh, down in Georgia or actually down in Texas who has been in out of school suspension for months now because he has locks and it's against his school's dress code. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, this is after the Crown Act was passed in that state. And then some reason it's not applying to him. So he's going all the way through graduation in an alternative remedial school because he won't cut his hair. You know, and so that's that's where we're at in America. We're at a part where, you know, we have black and other students of color speaking about what's happening in Israel and Palestine, having their faces put up on billboards, being docked, given death threats, being fired for engaging in, you know, constitutionally protected speech and protest. And the same thing with professors. So we're in a very, very scary spot right now. Uh, and, and I think as history has shown us, black folks continue to be the canary in the coal mine, right? Thinking about the problems of democracy, because when the rest of America gets the cold, you know, black America has pneumonia. And a lot of us have pneumonia in this moment. It's interesting. So how, you know, we, we're hearing that uh, the, the ranks of the police department are low and uh, they're looking for people of color to join. Yet, uh, you're talking about the relationship, the the interesting relationship, I should say, with black people and the law and our lives. How do you bring those two different worlds together when a lot of uh, people of color have suffered at the hands of police officers, those rogue officers, I should say? That's right, that's right. Well, I mean, I think that at some point we have to realize and get away from, you know, what the great Barack Obama used to call this notion of bad apples, right? Uh, those of us that are from the country, like me, rural Kansas, we know that a few bad apples spoil a bunch, right, very quickly. Um, and so I think when we think about policing, we have to get serious about data. All the data shows us that making police more diverse actually does not change violent encounters and racist encounters with police for any people of color, whether you're talking about indigenous folks, Asian American folks, or black folks. In general, those people of color come in and they end up reproducing or even more strictly reperforming those kind of racial dynamics or racist dynamics that the police force creates. So it's not just about who do you put in there, it's about what are the policies, what's the culture, and what are the consequences. We're living in a country with qualified immunity, which means police can violate someone's rights in in any way if, if that way has not been done before. So it creates an incentive to violate people's constitutional rights in new and inventive ways. And in that way, it becomes hard for black people and indigenous people in this state to trust police because we just keep playing musical chairs. 
bringing in new people, sometimes twerking policies, but actually not creating a culture of accountability and a space where people feel like they're able to advocate for their rights in the moment without being harmed. I mean, we saw what's happened in Memphis. That strike force is all black folks, right? We've seen similar things across the country. So I think that we have to get at a attitude of anti-blackness rather than thinking about what is just the skin color of the folks in the police department. Well, it sounds as if, and you probably have already decided that, that you could have a whole conference on qualified immunity. You know, I've thought about it, but I want to be able to sleep at night. (laughs) (laughs) We're just about out of time. How can we register for the event tomorrow and also to be a part of the entire series? Yeah, so if you can just go to Google and you can Google Google State of Black Life and the Law Series, uh, it should come up from Eventbrite, or you can go to our center's website, uh, the Center for the Study of Black Life and the Law, uh, Mitchell Hamlin, and you can go to our news and events area and look at our events. And I'll tell you, these events will be happening throughout the year. And Lord willing, at the end of the year, we'll actually, this coming August, we'll have our first annual State of Black Life and the Law Symposium uh, featuring one of the world, most world-renowned scholars, Christina Sharp. Uh, so figure dates for that as well. All right. He is Dr. Anansi Williams. He, I'm sorry, Wilson. Dr. Anansi Wilson. I messed up. The only thing that really you own, and I just messed that up. <laughs> Dr. Anansi Wilson from the Mitchell Hamlin School of Law. I can't thank you enough for sharing uh, your latte with us and being here to talk about <laughs> the wonderful virtual roundtable happening on the 16th of November. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Freddie. If I'm sharing my lot with anyone but my partner, I'd love to share it with you. So you have a good day, and thanks for having me. <laughs> Anytime, Thank you. Sir. <laughs> great, great conversation. Spirit. Great conversation. Sounds, sounds like it's going to be a, a great event as well. You know, um, <laughs> it is interesting that when you talk about uh, law enforcement, everybody has, well, I shouldn't say everyone, a lot of people have an intimate relationship with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Some folks more than others. Yeah. And it's interesting to uh, to avail yourself to something like this is really important, especially in the times in which we find ourselves. This is important. Mm-hmm. A virtual roundtable is November 16th. It's called The State of Black Life and the Law. You can find it on Eventbrite. What's coming up, Chantel? Well, I think uh, right now let's get into some ticket giveaways. I think it's about time to help Cam OJ with this audience research. 89.9 Cam OJ.